The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Tremendous change can start with one small act, something as small as a broken window. That broken window can be one act of crime, one act of neglect, one act of hate. One broken window opens the door to many more, and the shattered glass of this house starts to shout the self-fulfilling story of a broken street. Before we know it, reality begins to bend around this new perception. This distorted environment starts producing refuse it never had before. Value drops. Poverty rises, homelessness moves in. Broken homes and families, abandoned wives, mothers and children. Gangs, violence, murder, and a drug epidemic taking more lives than we can count. Word begins to spread from conversations to a headline to a full-blown narrative. And finally, we're branded with the ugly nicknames and a repulsive reputation. The condition of the street spread to the block, transmitted to the community, and infect the entire city. And from one broken window, we're now left with a broken city. Well, tremendous change can start with one small act. So that's where we start, with small, singular acts of goodness. We fight neglect with care. We combat crime with service, and we battle hate with love. We mend, repair, rebuild, one window at a time. As God's hands and with him on our side, we serve, give, and live for our city, believing that the tides can and will be reversed. Believing that we are the catalyst that transformed this city. Healed, mended, restored, made new. We stop the trash talk, flip the script, change the conversation. We rewrite the headlines and recreate the reputation our city will carry. God is for our city. The church is for our city and we are for our city. So what is the literal or figurative broken window that breaks your heart. There's gotta be something. There's something that you hear on the news or you read about or that when you're scanning through your feed, your news feed or you're scrolling when you're looking on social media, there's something that catches your attention, captures your heart, that makes your blood boil a little bit and it stirs your passions and you start to think and say, man, somebody needs to do something about that. Man, I wish I could do something about that. I, I know for me, last several months, every time I, I hear about a homicide or I, I read about an, an overdose in our community, like, I, I get like, I stir and I go like, man, I wanna just go out in the streets at night. And I wanna shout at the top of my lungs, like, stop it, like enough. And I wanna like put my arms up and be like, come on, man. Like, I wanna like talk sense into them and say like, don't you get it? And every time I hear somebody say something bad about my city, it's like I feel like somebody's saying something bad about my wife and my kids and I wanna throat punch them. I mean, I do, I know I'm not supposed to feel that way, but I want to and I, I don't do it. I might, but I don't right now, I haven't yet, but because this just feel like I feel defensive, I feel protective, like, come on. And then I keep scrolling just like you do. Because there's another story there's, there's another sports event, there's another game, there's another activity, and then my kids are crying, or they need to go here, or they need to do that, and then I got another bill to pay, and then I have a deadline to meet or an appointment to make, and so I, I put the phone down and I get back to what I'm supposed to be doing, and I move on with life, and as a result, you and I 
we think about what needs to get fixed, but then we don't do anything about it and we're busy. And even if we could, what would we actually do? I mean, really, like there's a reason why I probably shouldn't be on patrol. Like I, like I think about like, what would I actually do if I went out on the streets at night? Like what difference is that going to make? And some of you are like, yeah, you should go out and do that. Well, you go do it. Come on, right, right, think about it. Like, like I, I, I've done this. I've been like, what actually would I do? What difference would I make? And so because we have limited energy and limited time and limited resources, we've concluded that we can't make a difference. And so we keep busy and active with what we're already doing. And I had to you know, get the privilege every once in a while to sit down with you know, leaders of government agencies or people in political positions in our community, in our city, in our region, people who are overseeing nonprofit age, you know, organizations and have a conversation. And like, how can we work together? How can we collaborate to actually do something? And I was in a conversation with one of our, somebody in a political position and, they, and I was saying like, how are we doing? Are we making a dent? Are we improving? How are we doing with the opioid epidemic, with issues like the drug addictions? And how are we doing? And he said to me, he goes, you know, Patrick, it's hard to even say how we're doing. I don't know if we're winning or losing because I don't even know what game we're playing. He goes, and I don't know that anybody does. We're not even sure what the rules of the game are right now. That's a sober thought. And I walked away from that conversation thinking, you know, it's so easy to, criticize and complain when you're not the one trying to do anything about it. And so I could understand and certainly maybe even justify why a church and a people in trouble would separate themselves from a city in trouble. At least that's how the church in Jerusalem was struggling. And that's what was going on right after Jesus died and he rose again. And then he, he gathered his closest friends and followers together. And he said, look, I'm going to ascend to heaven, but I'm not leaving you. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And so I want you to wait for me. And so he encouraged them to have a prayer gathering. And as they gathered, God's spirit came and empowered them. And on that day, over 3,000 new people became part of this growing and fledgling church. And those 3,000 people began to reach other people. And it was saying that every day, new people were coming into the church. But then there was a man named Stephen. He was a, he was a leader within the church. Stephen stands in the street and he preaches the message of Jesus, but that angers some in the city of Jerusalem. And so they picked up rocks and they began to throw them at Stephen. And as he's getting hit by these rocks, he pauses and he looks up to heaven, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then it says that he falls asleep and then he dies. And standing on the, in the background of that murder was a man named Saul, a religious terrorist who rallied people to hate Christians and murder Christians. And from that day, it says that a great persecution broke out against the church. And so... Thousands of people scattered. They ran for their lives. And it says, the, 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 the history records that from the city of Jerusalem, pockets of people went out into hiding in the hills and hiding in the mountains. They left their homes, they left their jobs, they left their community, and they ran to hide, ran to escape. And some of them went to other cities and other towns and they started other little churches and other little gatherings, but most of them in hiding. But the leaders of the church, the, the 
key leaders, the apostles, they stayed in Jerusalem and they continued to preach. They continued to lead. They, they continued to tell the community about Jesus, even under great threat. James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and he had a heart and a burden for the people that were in the church that had ran for their lives and run from trouble. And so he wrote a letter to them. He wrote a letter to, to challenge them, to encourage them. I know you've run from trouble, but don't forget you can't hide from it for long. I know you think that you can escape, and by escaping, that's somehow gonna protect your life, but I, I wanna challenge you to don't become a quiet, hidden believer. I want you to become a, a loud person filled with love. I, I want you to become bold in your faith. And so he writes them this letter and we have that letter. It's, it's captured in the Bible. It's toward the end of the Bible. It's written by James, the brother of Jesus, around 45 AD. So you're thinking you know, just over a decade after Jesus died and rose again. And he writes this letter and in it he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers. And that's a kind of a generic, my brothers, all right? Don't feel left out if you're female here. He's not neglecting you. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Wait, what? Why should I celebrate? Consider it pure joy, meaning like pure celebration, like, like, woo, like the moments when you are most excited. He said, feel like that when you suffer. Why? Isn't that crazy? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And what he's saying is the trouble that would otherwise shatter a person's faith doesn't. It actually strengthens it and makes it more secure. What would destroy most people deepens you. And so what you thought was gonna wreck your life is actually bringing you to a place where God is able to build your life. And so that's, that's how he continues. In fact, he says, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Oh, what? He's writing to people who have scattered because of persecution and trouble. They've left their homes, they left their jobs, they've left their community, they're hiding, they're, they're, they're trying to rebuild what is broken. They have nothing. And he said, I know that everything has been stripped from you, but the more that's stripped away from you, the more you discover that you lack nothing. Come on, I can't be the only one that has a little crooked eye when I read that and go, wait, What's going on here? What is, what is James saying? And maybe you're in that place where you feel like things have been stripped from you and you've walked through hard times, you've walked through troubles. Maybe there's broken windows in your life, little broken places that are starting to pile up and make more and more brokenness. And you hear the words of James saying, consider it joy when you face all kinds of troubles because it produces a strengthening rather than a shattering, and that brings you to the place where you lack nothing. Well, what is his point? His point's this. Jesus is our only source. And I know, I get it. I, I get that you and I, we care for others and we, we wanna help others and we see the issues in our city and a, the broken window breaks our heart. But think about it. What, what do empty people give to other empty people? The blind trying to lead the blind. It, whatever fills 
spills. So whatever fills the reservoir of your life is going to spill out of you to others. And if you're empty, all you're giving others is your emptiness. If you're filled with hurt or hate, what spills out of you is hurt and hate and anger. If you've been beaten or betrayed, you're gonna share abuse and mistreatment and rejection. And so the challenge we have in our lives, which is what makes up a city, which makes up a region, which makes up your community and your neighborhood, is a whole bunch of empty people all trying to pour what they have into others. And so we just spread the hurt and the hate and the brokenness and the mistreatment. Because when you were little and somebody rejected you or marginalized you and it created insecurity in you, now you and I try to posture to make a name for ourselves and make ourselves feel better. And so we just pour what's in us into others. And, and James explains that this is rooted in a deeper problem. Verse 14, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. James is saying that the real problem going on around us, the real trouble is that every one of us have this spiritual desire that drives us to pursue bait. Here's why. Because we are spiritually broken, we are spiritually empty, we have a spiritual emptiness and a spiritual enemy, we seek to fill the emptiness by chasing after something that will fill us. And so what the enemy of our souls does is he leverages our spiritual brokenness, throws a bait out for us, and then lures us in, and we go looking for it. So there is a problem. The ultimate problem in our city is not drugs, is not homelessness, is not poverty, is not the fact that we need more or better jobs or more or better education. It's not your neighbor, it's not your broken marriage. The issue in your life, the problem is not that you need a better job or more clothes or nicer clothes or the latest gadget. You don't need a new or better spouse. The ultimate problem, James is saying, is this thing called sin. Sin is a spiritual crisis because you and I are spiritually empty and have a spiritual enemy and as a result, we pursue desires to fill that emptiness. And so the enemy of our soul will lure us in. He throws bait out there and every one of us have a bait that catches our attention. That's his point. I don't know what yours is. Maybe, maybe yours is drugs. Maybe it's lust and maybe it's an affair or pornography. But maybe it's just that you eat to make yourself feel better. Or maybe you use entertainment to satisfy yourself, to numb the pain. Every one of us have some form that we use to self-medicate our pain, that we use to attempt to fill the emptiness in our life. And so he says, here's what happens though. Then he says, it, it, we are, when it, it, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. So what he's saying here is this. When you go after the bait, you take hold of it, and it sets, the hook sets in you, and then it starts dragging you in. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to death. I mean, once it pulls you out, it gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death. The ultimate consequence of sin, these desires that drive us to pursue baits so that because we believe that those things will fill us 
is that it leads to our, our spiritual ruin. And so that when we're separated from God, we spend our life on our way toward eternal judgment. That's the end result of going after and biting into a bait that will never satisfy us. And here, so our greatest problem is sin and our greatest need is not a new job, a new spouse, more stuff, you know, and the latest technology. The greatest need in our city is not that we need cheaper houses or cheaper housing for people that are homeless. It's not that we need new or more or better jobs. It's, it's not that we need to treat the opioid crisis. That's a real problem. But the ultimate and greatest need is a spiritual crisis because every person is going around empty and nothing will fill them. No matter what bait they bite, it will never satisfy the hunger inside of them. No matter what bait you bite, it will never satisfy the hunger inside of you. And so what do you do? Well, he gives a warning. He goes like this. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. He goes, look, the enemy of your soul and this evil desire will trick you into believing that that bait will make you feel better. The bait will satisfy. He goes, but don't be deceived, dear brothers. And then he continues, and he gives you the answer. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like a shifting shadow. And there's the answer. He goes, here it is. All of us have a great void, a great emptiness, a, a great hunger that no matter what you bite into, it will never satisfy. And so we have a city, we have a community, we have a family, we have, we, we have our own hearts that are never satisfied. No matter what we use or go after to fill them, we are never filled, we are never satisfied. He goes, so don't be tricked into believing that anything you go after will ever make you feel good or ever satisfy your hunger. No, what you and I need is to recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from above from the Father of heavenly light in whom there is no shifting shadows. What is he saying? It's simply this, that Jesus is the source of everything you're longing for. So when we think about the compassion we have for our community, Jesus is the source of compassion. Jesus is the source of love for your home. Jesus is the source of energy that you need in the workplace. Jesus is the source of hope that you need to face your future. Jesus is the source of forgiveness, forgiveness that you need to overcome that feeling of betrayal or hurt. Here is our challenge. Nothing we ever drink from, nothing we ever eat will satisfy our emptiness. And so what God did was he saw our spiritual brokenness, our spiritual emptiness, and he came to earth. Jesus comes to earth. He takes our sin. He takes our eternal judgment and he puts it on himself. Not just yours and not just your neighbors. Every one of us, the eternal judgment that we deserve was put on Jesus so that when he died, he died once for all forever paying the debt of sin, forever absorbing the judgment against sin, forever receiving the penalty that every person owes because of their sin. So that when Jesus dies, he dies a eternal death so that our debt is paid so that when you believe in Jesus by faith, you are forgiven. You're given new life. You and I, how do we receive new life? Because when we believe in Jesus by faith, God's spirit enters into our spirit. See, it's a spiritual change because our greatest need is a spiritual problem. And because our need is a spiritual problem, he provides a spiritual 
source. And so here's what happens. Most of us, we look at our life like this. I, we, I come to church, I listen to a sermon, maybe Patrick's sermon, you know, and, and it, gives me a, it gives me a little pickup. And this is how we approach it. And then, and then we go looking for more. We, we, we come to church, I got my little pickup, and then, and then we expect our spouse to pour something in. And then we go looking for success to pour something in. And then we, then we look for other people to affirm us and make us feel better. And we, we go looking for other things to fill the cup, but nothing, everything else is empty. Everything else is a bait. And so we go through life always half empty, not half filled. All right, none of y'all pessimists. All right, here we go. Uh, the, the point is this. Jesus doesn't want to just give you a little pick-me-up. Here is what we do, and here's what James is writing about. He said, every good and perfect gift is from above. Jesus is that gift that you receive, and when you receive it, you're receiving it from the Father of heavenly light. And he's saying Jesus comes to fill your life, his spirit, into your emptiness. He covers, he heals the holes, and then he fills our life so that when he fills you, there is no space for more, meaning you have no need, right? So when he talks to them, he goes, so that your faith as it's strengthened, not shattered, helps you grow with perseverance so that you don't give up. It develops a maturity in you so that when you discover that you've, you're not lacking anything. There's nothing that could ever satisfy you. There's nothing else that could ever add more or take from your life. Jesus is more than enough. In essence, it's Jesus plus nothing. You have everything you need when you believe in Jesus. He is your source. He fills your life and he fills it so that you have no more need and there's no amount of money could ever add to this. No amount of loss of money could ever take from it. No new job, no new spouse, no new home, no, no better education. There's not another friend, there's not a girlfriend or boyfriend that you could put in here that would add anything. You're filled. You have all that you need. When you have Jesus in your life, you discover that as your faith is strengthened, you lack nothing. He is your source. So you don't have to go looking anywhere and everywhere else. And that's our answer to our community. That's the answer we bring to our friends, to our family, to our neighborhood, to our community, to our city, and to the cities around us, to your neighborhood and to your community. Our, Our answer is it's Jesus first and only. He is the source. And so then James gives one more word of encouragement to them regarding this idea. He goes like this, look, I know that everything around you is changing. You had to leave homes, you've left jobs, you left everything that was safe, and you've run for the hills. You're trying to rebuild your life and new communities, but I want you to know this, God never changes. I know you think that your troubles indicate that maybe God has abandoned you. Maybe God has even betrayed you. But he goes like this, he goes, in God, he's the source of light, and through him, there are no shifting shadows. Nothing changes, God doesn't change. God has never changed. His love for you hasn't changed. His forgiveness over you hasn't changed. His mercy in your life hasn't changed. His compassion for you hasn't changed. God hasn't changed his mind about you. He loved you yesterday and he loves you today. God hasn't stopped forgiving you. God hasn't changed his mind about the destiny that he's put in your life. 
God is unchanging in a world that is changing all around you. So then he goes like this, he goes, when you are filled with Jesus as your source, your source of love, your source of forgiveness, your source of mercy, your source of compassion, then and only then can you take the next step. And this is why as we start a series called For Our City, where we're talking about how you and I are responsible to be for our city, for our communities, for our neighborhoods, for our family, for our schools, for our workplaces. First, you and I have to be filled. Our emptiness has to be dealt with so that, let me read, the next verse, so, James is going like this. He goes, every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the father of heavenly lights in whom there is no shifting shadow. The very next verse, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Let me pause right there. He chose to give you new life. You and I were dead spiritually. Our, our, our cup was empty. We have nothing left to offer. We had nothing to give. So he gives us new life. He fills our cup. He fills the void. And then he goes like this. So in, through the word of truth, meaning through believing in Jesus Christ as the promise of this new life, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Now, when you hear that, you're not quite sure what he means there. Maybe you're not familiar. You know, we, you don't, we don't use words like first fruits. But what he's saying here is this. Jesus is our source and our resource. He fills and he spills. Maybe you're not quite following the metaphor here. He fills your life in order to spill out of your life. Jesus is the resource of love, of forgiveness, of compassion. You and I, we often go looking for what we're gonna offer others. How am I gonna deal with that problem? How am I gonna help that person? How am I gonna get control of my kids? How am I gonna help pay that college bill? How am I gonna pay my bills? How am I gonna get my mind right? And we're trying to figure out how we're gonna deal with all of these issues and problems in our life and in others' lives. And we feel like we gotta solve the problems of the world. So we carry the weight of the world. But then we discover from the letter of James that the answer really is this. He gives us new life. He fills us through Jesus so that he can spill through us. I was talking about how you can't turn to your spouse to fill your cup because they'll only offer you out of their emptiness and their hurt and their pain. You can't use success to fill you up because success is an empty bait. You can't use education. You can't use the latest fashions or the latest gadgets. You can't use anything or anyone to fill your cup except the source of Jesus Christ. But here's what Jesus wants to do in your life. You see all these things around you. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your kids. And what, what Jesus does is he fills in order to spill, right? Now I know you're all thinking, how are we gonna clean this up? I, I don't know. Right, he fills to spill. What James is saying is this. He's, he's, he's making this point. You are the building block. The word first fruit that he uses is a Greek word that speaks to the idea of city building rebuilding an entire city. And he, he's making this point. If, if God's gonna rebuild a city, he's gonna start with building blocks. You are the first building blocks in order to rebuild a city. You're the first step in, in rebuilding the whole thing. And so what does he say? He goes like this. So what God does is he fills you through Jesus Christ and then he spills out of you in order to impact others. You are the first step in changing the world. 
When God is looking out over our city, our region, your community, your neighborhood, and God is responding to the prayers of his people, his response is directly through you. You are the starting point. You're the first step in a series of steps to change the world. So what he does is he pours love into you in order to pour love through you. In essence, you're the funnel. He begins to pour in, and as he pours in, it pours through you, so that not only are you satisfied, but you actually become, you provide satisfaction to others, not because you're the source, but because Jesus is a source in your life, and he gives you a resource to spill into others, because whatever fills, spills. James, Jesus' brother, who wrote this letter, he was um, nicknamed Camel Knees. Now, most of us, I don't know if I've ever even, I mean, I guess I've been to the zoo and I've seen camels. I've uh, been to place, I guess I've seen camels. But what I read was that, you know, they have these like big calluses on their knees because camels are these big animals that get down on their knees and it tears their knees up and their knees develop these huge cam, uh, these big calluses. And they said that they nicknamed James Camel Knees because he was always on his knees in prayer because he understood that his only source was Jesus and his best resource was Jesus. Now, don't oversimplify this. I know some of you are thinking, okay, well, then all I need to do in order to, you know, transform the opioid epidemic is I just need to get on my knees and pray. Well, yes, do that. That's our starting point. Because if we don't deal first with the spiritual crisis, nothing else matters. See, every other issue is a symptom of a spiritual crisis. And so we can send all of the police on the streets and we can arrest every criminal and we can confiscate every drug and we can confiscate every illegal handgun and we can, we can confiscate every problem and we can arrest every person that should be arrested and we can treat every addiction and still our city would collapse because of a spiritual void. But when God fills up his people, and begins to spill through his people love and forgiveness and compassion and mercy and service and hope, what begins to happen is he spills through us to fill a city. Then and only then can we treat the drug issue. Then and only then can we deal with broken windows. Then and only then can we begin to deal with broken homes and, and children that are hurting and in pain because of the crisis in their lives, all, then and only then do we have a reservoir of love and forgiveness and compassion and service to offer others. Because we're not giving out of our lack, we're giving out of the abundance, the overflowing mercy and love of God. So what is your response? Don't go trying to give it away. Maybe you've been struggling in your marriage or in your home or in the workplace or maybe your class because you've been trying to give out of your lack. Today, can you and I together acknowledge our emptiness? I need to either be filled or I need to be refilled. I am not the source and I have no other resource. Jesus is the source and he is my only resource. We believe that God's spirit is present with you right now. And so I want you to pause and pray. Just pray. Let him speak to your heart. Maybe like James with, James with the camel knees, you need to spend a little time getting a hold of God right now. I'll get out of your way, I'll let you guys clean up that mess. I'm sorry. I want you to pray. Let God's spirit speak to you right now. For some of you, for the first time, you need to be filled. 
You've been going after all kinds of bait and lures, thinking it was gonna satisfy you. And as a result, you got hooks set in your mouth. They're dragging you to your ruin. And you're asking God to have mercy on you, to forgive you of what you've bitten into and to satisfy your soul. And if that's where you're at, don't take another step trying to do anything else. I want you to deal with your spiritual emptiness right now through faith in Jesus Christ. So I wanna wanna talk to just you for a moment. If that's where you're at and you're acknowledging, man, I am spiritually empty and I need Jesus to spiritually fill me. I want you to, I want you to open your eyes and I want you to look at me and I just want you to raise your hand right now and say, yes, Patrick, that's me. If you're online, you, you let us know that you're making that commitment. But if you're with us right now, I want you just to raise your hand. Yeah, Patrick, I recognize that right now. I, I need Jesus to fill me. Jesus to be my only source, to fill the emptiness. I'm like that cup, I've been empty, but right now I'm willing to say, Jesus, would you come in my life? Would you fill me? If that's you, would you just raise your hand so I can see it? I just wanna, I just wanna pray with you right now. For those of you that are raising your hand, I wanna lead you in a prayer. Just keep your hands up for another moment. We're gonna get to you. Anybody else? For those of you that have your hand up, I wanna pray with you right now. Jesus, you see these individuals and, and they're just exactly like the rest of us. They come in with an empty cup, but you see and you fill. You filled by coming and dying on a cross and rising from the dead so you could send your spirit to forgive us of sin and give us new life. And so for everyone that's raising their hand, for everyone that's making that commitment to invite you into their life, Lord, I pray that you would meet them and transform them, fill them. And Lord, for, the, for every one of us, I pray that you would not only fill, but you would refill, that you would be our source and our resource, that the only answer and the best answer we have is Jesus and only Jesus. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.